Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It's time for another classic episode. This is actually the second part to the classic episode we published last Friday. It is called The Story of Internet Explorer Part 2, and it originally published on May 6th, 2015, and has special guest host Nate Langson on the show. Nate is awesome. If you're not familiar with his work, definitely Google Nate Langson. He's got a ton of work to his name and is just a really interesting, intelligent, and entertaining person. Hope you enjoy this classic episode. I know people who still would prefer to use Windows XP to any of the other operating systems that have come out since then. Uh, there are a lot of legacy systems that depend upon Windows XP, and you cannot migrate to a new operating system without reinventing all these legacy systems that interact with it. Uh there used to be a joke about how people would stay on Windows XP, and now it's kind of a sad one. So IE6 comes out bundled with Windows XP. That also means that IE6 has continued to be used 
long after you would expect people to have changed, to, you know, upgraded to some other version of Internet Explorer. Um, PC World, this is where we get the sad part, called it the least secure software on the planet because it had so many vulnerabilities. It made the list of 25 worst tech products of all time from PC World. It was number eight. And number seven was a different Microsoft product, one that I did a full episode of tech stuff about, Microsoft Bob. Oh, Bob. Yeah. So it's named by Bill Gates' wife, I believe, yes. Melinda Gates. Mm-hmm. We had a whole, you know, the episode, if you haven't listened to that episode of tech stuff, I highly recommend you go and check that out. Uh, Lauren Vogelbaum was my co-host on that one, and we had a grand old time dissecting Bob. Uh and and it was her first time ever encountering Bob. And boy, I mean, the the fact that IE6 ranked higher on the list than Bob tells you how bad IE6 was. Because Bob was atrocious. So this was another one of those problems. It, it was rife with vulnerabilities that allowed hackers to get that same kind of level of, of access to a computer, whatever level the user was logged in at. So... If you were a giant business and you only allowed uh, your employees to log in under a lower access level, then that was bad, but probably manageable. If you were one of those businesses that allow employees to log in at the admin level, it was catastrophic. And uh, because IE6 was lumped in with Windows XP and because Windows XP was so popular, it meant that it was a target-rich environment. Now, uh, Nate, you, you being a Mac user, are you one of the Mac users who who very smugly uh, trumpets the fact that Macs are largely um, free from issues of viruses and malware? No, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm one of the people that says that they are. Well, yes, I am in a way. <laughs> I am actually completely. But what I what I don't say is that Macs can't get viruses right or or that they are more secure Mm -hmm. um they are in as much as everyone targets windows and therefore far far fewer people are targeting macs but on the other hand macs can also be conduits for viruses right so you are able to pass on a virus even if you are immune to it yourself you can you can be a carrier but not be uh be affected by it directly that said, I don't run antivirus because I don't care about Windows users. <laughs> lol. Why get vaccinated, right? I mean, come lol, on. Lol, lol, lol. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. This, this, this is a great, but this is a great point to make in that, again, PCs had so much of the market share. I mean, we're still at the point where Macs had not really made a big dent. It would be, it wouldn't be until the mid to late 2000s that we really started seeing the Mac take off on a, on a true market share level. Uh, which meant that if you're a hacker and you're designing malware and you're trying to hit as many people as possible, that's your goal, then you go to where the people are. And the people were at PCs on Windows-based machines, specifically Windows XP. And Internet Explorer 6 had all these vulnerabilities. It was open season for hackers, uh, which that's why it made this this list of the 25 worst tech products. I mean, if if it's a gateway, if Microsoft had not, uh, patched all the vulnerabilities, it's a huge issue. Now, Microsoft did uh, start to issue patches very quickly, but it was still one of those things that became a black eye for the company. 
Uh, in fact, the problem was so serious that the United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team told people, hey, if you don't have to use Internet Explorer, don't. Use something else. And then the only times you should use Internet Explorer is when you have no other option. Like, it's it's something that's only compatible with Internet Explorer. Um, I've had, uh, I've worked at companies where the intranet would only be accessible through Internet Explorer. Other browsers just could not render those pages, um, which could be a very frustrating experience for someone who doesn't prefer to use Internet Explorer unless I can't, I don't have any other option. Uh, Nate, have you ever had that issue too, where you've had to where you've worked someplace where the the way a system was designed, you had to use a specific type of browser to access it? Um, I'm I work at one now, <laughs> so I probably shouldn't say very much, but it's a very secure internal corporate environment. Sure, and and I mean that that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I still have a version of Internet Explorer that runs on my machine because. Uh, there, there are certain internal technologies we use that it really only works with Internet Explorer. Now, once, once it's up on the web, any browser can see the stuff, but for the internal purposes, uh, we use things that will only work with Internet Explorer. And of course, we're also very concerned about security. So it's, but it's one of those things that, you know, if, if you had built it on Internet Explorer 6, this would be a huge concern, obviously because of those vulnerabilities. Um, fortunately, I think most companies don't rely on that or they are relying on one that has been patched thoroughly so that those vulnerabilities are no longer an issue. But it was, you know, for someone who doesn't, for like grandma, who doesn't necessarily know how this stuff works, it, it's a problem, right? It's It's not easy to explain to someone who hasn't grown up around the world of software and software patches, that this is an issue at all. It's, I mean, it's hard enough just to explain that this is not the internet. (laughs) It's it's a browser. So, yeah. yeah. So definitely it was a black mark against Microsoft. Um, And it's funny because I I looked on, granted, it depends upon what source you use, but I looked at one uh, um, resource that looks at the market share of various browsers, and 3.1% of users in China, according to this source, are still using Internet Explorer 6. Uh, 3.1% seems like a small number, but that means hundreds of thousands of people are still using Internet Explorer 6. And that's yeah, I mean, it's incredible. China's an interesting one, and because of the rampant, piracy that has taken place there over the last couple of decades in particular when it comes to computer software. And Mm. there are so many old computers out there, computers that physically can't run more recent uh, operating systems, that for some machines, that may be the limit of what they can even install because of how old the hardware is. Sure, yeah. The same in, 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 in parts of India. So that's probably a factor. Um, the other, the other thing is that there are a lot of banks, believe it or not, that mm-hmm. have this really old software installed. I'm Which, not saying that's the case in China particularly, but just generally there are a lot of, a lot of places and schools yeah. too. I mean, well, and that's the other thing is that when you spend a lot of money and energy and resources on building an infrastructure and it's using a particular, you know, 
particular uh, uh, suite of software or a particular operating system, it's, you know, you've created this system that now we call a legacy system. At the time, of course, it's not a legacy. It's just what you built. And you built it because you needed something. And this, you know, the suite did the stuff you needed. Uh, the problem is that, you know, you don't necessarily have those resources to dedicate to reinventing that every time there's a new operating system that comes out. Especially if you're talking about really big systems where it would require a massive effort across multiple locations in order for everyone to stay in communication with each other. And that's where you run into these problems. I mean, if there are no easy solutions, it's very easy for us to say, hey, upgrade your operating system or upgrade your browser because on a user to user level, it's not as big a deal. I mean, it might require some financial investment if you're talking about having to get a new machine that's capable of running a, 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 a newer version of that software. But ultimate, ultimately, it's not as big a deal as it is telling a, an industry or even just um, a particular company within that industry, hey, you need to do this. It's a much larger effort on that their part. So as flippant as I'm being, I do realize that, you know, it's not so simple as, oh, we need to we need to install this new program. It's, you know, sometimes it's not the, the new browser. Like you said, Nate, could require uh, more advanced hardware or a more advanced operating system. Yeah. All right. So that was 2001. Now we're going to skip ahead to 2004 because. There were no updates in that time, but on November 9th, 2004, a big competitor to Internet Explorer would launch. Uh, the Mozilla Foundation's Firefox 1.0 goes live. Now, Firefox was the first real challenger to the dominance of Internet Explorer uh, to, to really you know, capture a lot of people's attention. Before, there had been devotees of other browsers, but they were pretty small audiences. Firefox was one that actually threatened to take some real uh, uh, chunks out of Microsoft. And part of that was because there was still this ongoing issue with Internet Explorer 6 and those security vulnerabilities. It had had such a, you know, it had a, a pretty bad reputation. Meanwhile, you might say, well, why, why didn't Microsoft come out with a new version? Well, until Firefox came out, there wasn't really a need for it, right? I mean, there were no, if you don't have a competitor, then you don't have a lot of incentive to improve your product. Uh, it's one of the pro one of the reasons, one of the big reasons you don't want any monopolies out there because you would rather have competition that drives the various entities to continue to innovate and invest in their technology so that you ultimately get better stuff out of it. If there are no competitors, then you got to just hope that the entities are motivated enough to continue that innovation and investment, which is not always the case. And it wasn't in this one. So uh, October 2006, we see Microsoft launch Internet Explorer 7 because Firefox was starting to eat at Microsoft's heels. It was starting to take up some of that market share and Microsoft suddenly realized, hey, we might have a problem here. We might need to to start really looking at innovating in this space again because we're not the only player in town anymore. Uh, so this was a five-year, you know, absence of updates, and then we finally get one in 2006. Um, so Internet Explorer 7 was uh, also the first time they changed the name, because the previous editions of Internet Explorer were all called Microsoft Internet Explorer 
whatever. This time, they were called Windows Internet Explorer whatever. So Windows Internet Explorer 7. Uh, interesting because of the settlement with the United States Department of Justice earlier about how they didn't really want to give the indication that Windows and Internet Explorer were so tightly integrated. But uh, after the settlement of that case, I guess they were, Microsoft was looking at it saying, look, if you if you use the Windows environment, this is the browser you want. I guess that was their marketing push, I suppose. <laughs> and it became the bundled browser for a much maligned piece of software, Windows Vista. We'll be back with more of this classic episode of Tech Stuff after this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ends? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think Windows Vista did more for Macintosh sales than Apple ever did. <laughs> Possibly. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't great to begin with. It, it no. was basically all right by the end. But Yeah, it was one yeah, of... Yeah, that was... 
it was one of those that that did require patches to make it to the point where people gave it that kind of damning praise, right? Well, it was all right. By the end, it was okay. <laughs> when it came out, it was not okay. Uh, there were a lot of issues. I mean, I remember all the different permissions windows that would pop up whenever you wanted to do anything in Windows Vista. And it was almost like Microsoft had overreacted to the problems it had experienced previously with products like Internet Explorer 6, where they said, well, we want to make sure that we are being really uh, concerned with security and safety. So now you're going to have to go through five permissions pages whenever you want to run anything on your machine, <laughs> every time you want to run it. Uh, so Vista was maligned probably justifiably when it first came out. But then, like like we said, it got better with patches. Uh, although it was too little too late at that point, I think. And, and mm. essentially you had all these different people and companies, school systems, everything, saying, you know what, we're going to stick with Windows XP because even though this operating system is the new one, uh, it breaks everything. So I'm going to use this older operating system. Uh, and I, I can say, like, in, in my career, we went from Windows XP to Windows 7. Yeah, we did not. We did not I, transition I, yeah. to Vista. I went Windows XP to Mac, um, not particularly because of Vista, to be honest. Um, yeah, but I, but but I think that was the turning point for a lot of people. It was either ignore Vista and then move to Seven, or ignore Vista and move to the Mac. Yeah, I I think you know, and, and I think even you know, looking at at some of the the uh, other operating systems out there, things like Linux. I mean. You know, I, I don't think, well, Linux has its own, like, uh, devotees who are all the developers who, who love to work with that operating system and help make it better. And it's almost mm -hmm. like a, a crowdsourced OS. Uh, but the, you know, I think things like Vista definitely help fuel that kind of passion because you look at what is the product of a, co a corporation saying, here's what we think an operating system should be. Versus uh, something like uh, Mac, which, you know, Apple has done a great job at positioning themselves as we know that you think you know what you want, but we're telling you what you want and you're going to love it. And it works because <laughs> it's designed so well. Uh, and then you have the Linux approach where it says we know what we want because we're the ones making it. <laughs> yes, so, well, there is that as well. And, and And Linux is so infinitely flexible from the... You know, if you want to build your own operating system, you know, yeah, I tried a version of Linux yeah. once that was designed in the style of a, of an anime series um, <laughs> called Serial Experiments Lane, which is a very weird techie anime if you want to check that out. But I wanted to point something out that um, we actually didn't uh, discuss and put in show notes here, but it, it just occurred to me as we've been talking that there was a con there was a, um, a, a, a parallel change in computer usage at this point in the Internet Explorer lifestyle, which was the introduction and introduction and success of the netbook that mm. did the opposite um, of what Microsoft would have wanted with Vista, which required, uh, you know, more of a high powered, high spec machine. It was much visually, uh, it was much more visually rich. Vista was, that is, versus XP. Mm -hmm. And then the netbook came out and became this giant pre-iPad, pre-tablet craze of $100 little portable notebooks that needed to run really low power old stuff. So they yeah. ran XP and they ran IE6 or they ran Linux, of course. Um, yep. You know, and, and I think that, that that was such a popular choice of machine for 
admittedly only maybe a couple of years, but it, I think it may have made a difference at the whole XP thing. And definitely once uh, 2007 rolls around, you had Apple introduce the iPhone and that really changed the game because suddenly you had, well, at least here in the United States, I mean, here in the U.S., this is where Nate can can kind of chuckle because in the U.S., the smartphone was adopted very late on the consumer side, whereas, you know, in Europe, you had some some smartphones that had traction before the iPhone came out. Here in the U.S., the iPhone might as well have been the first smartphone ever. Uh, the only people who had any other type of smartphone were executives who had Blackberries here in the U.S. That was I mean, it. It's very kind of you. It was very kind of you to, to suggest that we were far ahead of the game. I, I think really that the sort of we're in the realms of the sort of Nokia communicator sort of thing. And yeah, um, they weren't they weren't particularly smart, but they, they were more feature rich, definitely than right. than some of the U.S. phones, because because Nokia didn't do anything really in, in North America at the time. Right. Yeah. Here, if you had a phone that could browse the web via text, like it was just a text based browser, then you were ahead of the game. And then, but then the iPhone comes out and uh, suddenly you have a new way of, of viewing the web, uh, which would get improved considerably with future generations of the iPhone and then with competitors like the Android phone and ultimately with Windows Mobile, Windows Phone, and then just Windows for mobile devices. Um, but, you know, that really changed the game big time to the point where now if you look at market share of uh, what's being used to browse the web, the mobile devices are killing it. And so you see things like iOS is a huge player in market share for web browsers. If you're if you include mobile devices, if you look at just desktops, then Internet Explorer is still a large, a large player, um, especially once you factor in all the different versions of Internet Explorer that are still in use. But 2007 ends up being a big year because we start seeing mobile become a true competitor or at least a a potential competitor in the web browsing space. Uh, March 2009 would be when Microsoft launched Internet Explorer 8, which was the first browser to pass the ACID 2 test. Did not pass the ACID 3 test, but it passed the ACID 2 test, which was a, that's a test designed to check a browser's ability to render a web page based upon the intended design of that page. This goes back to what I was saying before, where you just painstakingly create a web page and you can't wait for someone to see it. I mean, by, by can't wait, I mean, if you, if you could go back and visit the web pages of the, the mid nineties, I guarantee you that more than 80% of them would have a counter somewhere on that web page that would tell you what number you were to visit that web page. Uh, th- those were ubiquitous back in the day. Do you remember those where you'd be like, oh, look, I, I was the hundred and third thousandth person to visit this website. Yes, um, I do. I remember installing one of mine and just thinking like, why do I do this? I can like, it's, been three months and I can still count the number of people who visited my website on two hands. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was one of those things where, again, it, you, you know, you put this care into it and you really wanted to make sure that all the browsers were going to render it properly. Uh, and it was very important for Microsoft at the time because they were no longer like no one version of Internet Explorer was now the dominant one because Firefox had done so well. So if you're the dominant player, then sure, you could essentially define how web pages should look. Your browser is the one that people should be designing for because 
you're the one that most people are using. And anyone who's using a different web browser is going to have a uh, potentially at any rate a uh, less than ideal experience. But who cares? Because you're the one who's the biggest player in town. When you're no longer the biggest player in town or there are viable competitors out there, you have to start rethinking that strategy. So Microsoft did a good thing here in building a web browser that was going to be more true to the designs of the web page administrators than what they had previously been doing. Uh, and also it benefited those of us who actually used Firefox or some other browser at that time. So that was that was good. Go ahead. It's an interesting period because all this time, all this discussion, Opera was chugging along in the background, yep. mm-hmm. doing its thing. And just as we've been talking, I just downloaded and installed Opera on my Mac because I just wanted to see what it looks like these days. It's based on Chromium, um, like like Google Chrome is. And, you know, Opera's always been this underdog. It's just never done very well uh, market share wise, but it's always had this incredibly loyal fan base and does oh, yeah. really innovative things on the mobile side and always has. And I remember in about 2007, I wrote an article for CNET saying, Opera should stop making desktop browsers and just focus on mobile as its future. And I had one person who said that I should throw myself off the top of the CNET building for saying something <laughs> so heinous against the beloved Opera browser. Right. And I, st- you know, nearly 10 years on, I stand by that. They should focus on mobile. Um, and I, and I hope that person revisits my article, um, mm-hmm. from 2007 and says, Oh, yes, you were right. Well done. Well, you, you know, it was very forward thinking because as it turns out, you know, mobile browsing has become so important now that that's where everybody is looking. I mean, you know, not that desktop browsing has gone away or that there aren't other platforms. I mean, heck, I, I sometimes I browse the web very rarely, but sometimes I browse the web on uh, my Xbox so that I can watch certain content that I couldn't otherwise or that I... Uh, you know, might want to have a podcast on in the background, and that's the easiest way for me to to play it. Um, so, but but mobile certainly is is at least as important, if not more important, than desktop browsing is these days. So, uh, everyone really needed to be looking at mobile. I think you were really just giving some valuable advice, honestly. I mean, I really I was trolling for page views mostly, but. Um... <laughs> But it was well, but, based on but, it was based on real uh, opinion and fact. Okay, that I well, believed at the time. You know, we we've all engaged in some clickbait at some <laughs> point or another. I mean, you know, we've got more to say in this classic episode of Tech Stuff after these quick messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Internet Explorer 8 is currently the second most popular version of Internet Explorer as far as market share goes. Keep in mind, we're up to 11 now. And in fact, uh, Internet Explorer 11 is the current uh, most popular version of IE on the market. IE 8 is second. So that means 9 and 10 didn't do quite so well. Uh, And perhaps, I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but perhaps one of the reasons that it has done so well for so long is that it is the last version of Internet Explorer that is capable of running on a Windows XP machine. So it may be that we have still a significant number of folks out there who are running the Windows XP operating system. They never upgraded to Vista or 7 or 8 or 10 now. Uh, and they're, they're staying with Windows XP for one reason or another. And they might be running Internet Explorer 8. That's a guess. But I think it's a fair one. Yeah, I mean, in the mobile world, it's. I, I'm sure a lot of people listening have had the experience of downloading an app and then downloading an update a week later, right. firing up the app and being told that your OS is out of date and, and you need to update. And that's because Apple or, or Android or something has been up has. A, 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 has released an update in the time between you downloading the app and firing up the app, and you've updated the app in that time without firing it up or updating your OS, and it's right. already out of date. Like, it's now, crazy. Per- personally, I haven't had that issue, but that's because I use a Nexus 6, so I get those updates, like, immediately. Uh, but then, uh, although iPhone users out there are like, uh, yeah, that's regular operating procedure for me. <laughs> Yeah, I have a Nexus 6 as well, to be fair. Um, oh, do you? Have- I do, what? yeah. That's sort of my Android uh, sort of test phone thing. Of course. So I, 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 I use that for apps. Your main phone has to be an iPhone, I, I imagine. Yeah. All right. How, how do you like the Nexus 6? I know this is a tangent, but I have to ask. 
Um, I love it. I really like it. Um, I, I use the iPhone 6 Plus as my main phone, so the Nexus 6 just feels like an evolution of that mm-hmm. um, feel-wise. And the screen's the screen's nice. The battery life for me has been pretty good. And the, mm-hmm. the um, I don't know, I, I just like it. But I don't I just, use it that much, to be honest. It was it's just like a like a uh, sort of a dummy review unit type thing that's just been hanging around. Right. I, I just wish it were a little bit larger, so that way, if I held it over my head on a sunny day, I could shade my entire body. It is a big phone. It is it a is big a phone. But like phone. I said, I don't use it that much. It's it's mostly there for me to test Android and. If I need, if I want to review or write about new apps, it's just there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. I understand. Well, getting back to Internet Explorer, this is where we're starting to talk about some of the, the, the boring ones for me. So I guess that's why I'm so eager to go off on tangents. But March 14th, 2011, Internet Explorer 9 debuts and it had the tagline, the beauty of the web. So finally we could experience that. I was, it's good that by 2011, we could finally see the beauty of the web. I mean, after all that text and the red X's for images that wouldn't load. Um, this one wasn't tied to the premiere of any new operating system, which might be one of the reasons why it's not as popular as IE8 or IE11, because it, mm. it was not, it wasn't bundled with an operating system. Um, so it could run on Windows Vista Service Pack 2 or later versions of the Windows operating system. There was no support for Windows XP. Like we said, uh, IE8 was the last Internet Explorer to run on that platform. And uh, you could do things like you could pin websites to the application bar, which would allow you to navigate straight to those right away. So if there were sites that you always go to, you know, you just you there. There's always there's three that I always open up first thing in the day as soon as I load up my browser then it would make sense to pin those first three just to be able to click on whichever ones or even pin them together. You could do that as well, where you could open up uh, multiple tabs and just associate the ones that you always go to first thing. That way you don't have to spend those precious that calories typing in <laughs> the first few letters of whatever URL <laughs> you go to each time. Um, but a very innovative approach at the time. And uh, it also had a download manager that would allow users to pause downloads and alert users to potentially malicious files. Very important as far as security is concerned. Something that is pretty much standardized throughout all browsers now, uh, but was brand new back in 2011, uh, at least for Internet Explorer anyway. And it so includes support for HTML5 for audio and video tags. So we started to see that that migration, which is still happening from four to five. Um, so, you know, it, it was important. It just didn't make a huge impact. Uh, in fact, I can't even, I don't think I've ever used IE9. I don't think I ever got to a point where I used that. I, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think I will have done because I was, I was all Mac at that point. Uh, my machine at, I was at Wired at the time. My, all my, my machines at Wired were all Macs as well. But I did always have, um, either a parallels, installation of windows so i could do my browser test because i always did the browser reviews um for cnet in the uk and then wired as well after that so i always sort of kept i kept them installed so i must have used it at some point but certainly i7 was the last one that i could honestly say i really remember using possibly ie8 but after that so no 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 lasting impression here um 
Yeah, I imagine that people with Macs would, yeah, I run boot camp so I can run IE9. That would really shock me. <laughs> I would not be, I would, I would be, well, why? Please tell me what, what's the, you know, what's I can the tell attraction? you why you might want to do that. Macs are some of the, for, for quite a while, were some of the best Windows machines you could buy. Right, that's true. Like buy a MacBook Air and put Windows on it is a better experience for most Windows users who didn't want to use a Mac or rather who didn't want to use OS X. Right. Well, did, did you, uh, do you, do you find it amusing when PC users try to go the other way and create Hackintoshes? It seems like a bit of a waste of time, but I suspect that there are people that are probably doing it more for the joy of making it work than the fact that it's productive for them to do so once they've done it. If right. You know what I mean? Right. But I also say, I mean, I am a Windows user. I mean, my gaming machine is a Windows P- PC. It's a big fat gaming rig with a 21.9 ultra wide curved monitor. That's all Windows, but I, but it literally loads Steam and most realistically, it really loads Elder Scrolls Online as soon as I turn it on. Like, it's, I was about to I say, use it like, for nothing else. I was going to say, like, with that huge screen, it's got to be Papers, Please. You're just playing. <laughs> papers, Please. Yeah. No, well, it's my immersive Elder Scrolls experience. Well, it's, that's good. Now I know, I know what MMO I could run into you if I ever, uh, if I ever dive into that world. Oh, please do. You are welcome. You would make I'm, a fantastic Nord. I, I'm still playing, actually, I'm still playing Skyrim again. I mean, I, I keep playing it through. I don't know why I've played. I finally actually finished the game. <laughs> For the longest time, I was not finishing the game. I was just doing all the side quests. So maybe I need to, maybe I finally need to say goodbye to Skyrim and, and jump on. We should take this conversation offline because yeah. I definitely want to persuade you to get into Elder Scrolls online, <laughs> but we'll, we'll save Elder Scrolls for a future tech stuff perhaps. Right. Because we'll, that we'll, in itself has a rich history as a franchise. We'll revisit. Yeah. I actually, I remember getting to play the, the early build of that at a CE or a E3 several years ago, but hmm. okay. We'll save that for a next one. Let's, let's, let's power on through the end of Internet Explorer. Uh, April 12th, 2011. That's when Microsoft announces Internet Explorer 10. It was less than a month from releasing Internet Explorer 9. So they release 9, and less than a month later, they say, hey, Internet Explorer 10 is coming, which seems like a weird choice, especially when Internet Explorer 9 wasn't being bundled with an operating system. So I don't know why they expected people to migrate to 9 if they announce, hey, something even better is coming really soon. It, that, that to me is a very odd decision. Um, I honestly don't understand the motivation behind that, uh, unless they just—it's probably for like accounting purposes more than anything else to show a return on investment. Maybe I mean it'll be something really dull like that. Since Internet Explorer wasn't like a product that you would go out and purchase, maybe they just didn't care. (laughs) It's kind of hard to say. Uh, They showed a demo of an early build of IE10 at the uh, Mix 11 conference in Las Vegas, the MIX uh, uh, conference in Vegas. I've never been to that one. That's one of the few that I have not attended. Uh, It was September 2011. They showed the developer preview of Windows 8 um, that ended up becoming available to the general public. So if you wanted to get your hands on an early build of Windows 8 and then be one of the many people who complained about the Metro uh, layout, you could have done that then. I, I was one of those people. I was um, too. Yeah, we we actually just had a machine here at How Stuff Works that was the Windows 8 machine. And it was a Windows 8 machine that did not have a touch Anyone using monitor. it. <laughs> well, no one, no one was using it. Well, first of all, there wasn't a whole lot of software we could use with it. And secondly, 
we didn't have a touch sensitive screen. So you were using this interface that was clearly designed after the UI you would see in a tablet, uh, but transmitted, transferred rather to a desktop experience. But if you didn't have a touch screen monitor uh, and you were navigating it through your basic keyboard and mouse, it was not a very satisfying experience, at least not for me. Uh, I could easily see why it would be very attractive if you were using a touchscreen device, although I'm not big on touchscreen monitors because I don't like having big old greasy fingerprints all over my monitor all the time. Um, I prefer my desktop to be still keyboard and mouse until something better comes along. Uh, what about you? Do you use touchscreen monitors? No, no point. No. Yeah, same here. I don't see. I, I don't see. I don't see a benefit to that. At least not in the current hardware iterations that are out there. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the idea of having to reach across and touch the screen anyway. I'm also lazy, so <laughs> anything that smacks of effort, I would like to edge away from, uh, unless it was absolutely necessary. Uh, IE10 would end up being bundled with Windows 8 and Windows Server 2012 in the fall of 2012. Uh, and it had two modes. It had the Metro mode. So if you launched it in the Metro, they, they no longer call it Metro, but at the time, that's what we all referred to it as. If you launched it when it was in the Metro layout, which was that tiled layout of Windows 8, uh, it had a limit, limited features and it also ended up eliminating, uh, pretty much the, the entire user interface was eliminated uh from casual glance, you would have to swipe from uh, the bottom or the top in order to pull things up. But otherwise, it was meant to give the website the entirety of your screen's landscape. I can appreciate that on one level. I like the idea of slimming down your your frames so that you're giving the website as much attention and as much of the focus of the user as possible. But uh, at the same time, I want to be able to easily navigate to other sites if I need to. So I'm not crazy about completely hiding it away. Uh, I think that might have been a bit much. If you launched it in the desktop version of Internet Explorer, it was a little more like the earlier versions. So it had more of the, the capabilities built into it. Um, I think I think Windows 8 was really Microsoft's approach to trying to make the operating system as accessible to as broad a range of people as possible. And I'm not sure. I, clearly, they weren't entirely successful. Uh, they, the rapid development of Windows 10 kind of points to that. And also mm -hmm. just the, the upgrade to Windows 8.1, which ended up uh, kind of reversing Microsoft's decisions on a lot of their original points. But Microsoft tends to do this. It, it, it sort of yeah. talks between between big success and and uh at least the perception of complete disaster which is windows uh you know windows xp great success borat yep. style windows vista disappointment yep. uh windows 7 great success mm -hmm. windows 8 bitter disappointment so i sort of feel that they are due a great success on the next on the next one i think so uh and i guess they'll go out on a high point cuz it's the last one uh, you know, it's also interesting because this, to me, parallels a similar thing that happened with uh, with Microsoft with the the announcement of Xbox One. I remember you and I had a conversation about uh, which console we thought won E3 that year when when the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One were both announced. Yes, and, I remember actually eating a very messy hot dog with you while we had yeah, that conversation. 
And then we, we talked about how Microsoft made all these, uh, at the time they sounded very bold and sometimes slightly dangerous, you know, as far as their, their, uh, the, the way people would view the Xbox One. They made these, these announcements that ultimately I think would have benefited them had they stuck with them, but they listened to the initial reaction that gamers had. And they reversed some of their initial, their initial pronouncements, which ended up negatively impacting certain features down the road. And I think it's very similar to the way Windows 8 and Internet Explorer 10, uh, the the same sort of situations they went through, the same kind of cycles they went through. This, like, we're gonna, we're really trying to push innovation. The problem was they were pushing the innovation in a direction that the the public just didn't get behind. And you know, and I, I think this is really, it's, it, it is a problem born out of the business model. And it's yeah. not to blame Microsoft at mm-hmm. all. This is just the way business is, but they needed to, they need to give people a reason to go through what is, particularly in the corporate world, a massive, dramatic and expensive and disruptive deci- uh, decision to move operating systems right. to upgrade. So they have to change something significantly which is why it seems to go from great to bad to great to bad to potentially next great again because basically what they then change is they go back to what people wanted in the first place you know it's a it's the problem with if it ain't broke don't fix it but if it ain't broke but you need to make more money because that's what your business relies on then maybe don't fix it just try and do something to it and then fix that right right yeah i mean that that's a that's a great point and I, I, I think it has to be endlessly frustrating to Microsoft executives to really push for big, big changes, big risks in innovation and seeing it fall flat and then watch Apple where it seems like Apple is able to make that kind of declaration and, uh, and run, do really well with it. Now, that being said, there are clearly examples in Apple's past where uh, updates to uh, certain operating systems or software packages have been met with lots of criticism. Uh, there are certain OS updates that people absolutely despised in the, in the process of the evolution of Mac OS. There's also, I mean, anyone here at HowStuffWorks who works in video could go on and on about changes to certain video editing suites. I love that change. It's brilliant. I ditched Premiere to move to Final Cut when they changed that. Really? Everyone here yeah. went the other way. <laughs> well, that's because they were probably doing it for for a living, whereas I do it semi-professionally. So for me, it actually sped up a lot of stuff, particularly with things like multicam. I wasn't doing anything professionally, professionally with it. Like it wasn't my sole job. Right. But I, but but on the other hand, the the big difference is that Microsoft now does these big, giant, huge overhauls and pushes it as the next big thing and like the latest innovation and leap in personal and professional computing. Mm-hmm. Apple makes a big deal about its OSs, but they're actually incremental. They're more like service packs now and they right. are free. And Apple will trump, you know, this new innovative feature and that new innovative feature. And yeah, they are convenient, but, you know, would you pay for it? Really? I mean, people did, but it never really felt like a big deal to Apple. It more felt like just because they were making boxes and putting them on shelves and shipping them around the world, they should probably charge something for them. But once it's all software and download based, it's just like, meh. 
have it. Yeah. So they're like completely different. It's, it's they're not chicken and egg. Not chicken and egg. Sorry, they're not chalk and cheese. Now they're just. We're not comparing apples to apples by comparing OS ten to um, Windows updates wise. No, was that chalk and cheese that I heard? Yeah, <laughs> that's. That's it's like quarter past me. 11 at night. I've been up for like <laughs> 18 hours at this point. I'm fried. I'm, I'm just so, curious uh, if that's if that's a common saying or if that's just a... Yeah. Neat. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, that's really common. Yeah, they're like chalk and cheese. They don't go together. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I've never heard that phrase, but I'm, I'm a closet. You know, I've been very, you know, sheltered my entire life. So it's yeah. quite possible it just hasn't made its way to the deep south yet. Stay tuned for the exciting conclusion of this Tech Stuff Classic episode right after we take this break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're in the home stretch, October 17, 2013. Microsoft releases the final version of Internet Explorer, Internet Explorer 11. 
which had a lot of performance improvements. Uh, it actually, when, when it came out, there were a lot of reviewers who put it through various speed tests and said this was competitive against all the other browsers that were current at that time, faster than a lot of them, that it had made some incredible improvements and was a true contender in the browser space. That if, in, in fact, I remember reading so many reviews that said, hey, if you switch to Chrome because you wanted it to load web pages faster, you don't have that reason anymore because Internet Explorer 11 was doing it as fast or faster than Chrome could. So it suddenly became clear that Microsoft had really pushed to to not just have new features, but to improve the performance so that it wasn't going to be viewed as, oh, yeah, it's this thing that everyone has because it's bundled with your operating system. It was actually a valuable browser that could stand on its own against uh, all these other competitors. So mm. it was one of those things where you started hearing some real positive thing, you know, reviews about Internet Explorer. And yet it's also the last Internet Explorer. Uh, Microsoft yeah. announced this year that it is no longer going to be developing Internet Explorer. I sort of think that it's a necessary it's a necessary change because I think that the name IE is a lot worse than the product itself. Internet yeah. Explorer is a perfectly good, great, modern, fast browser now. Like it is. It's fine. It's a decent browser. And, and if I, I feel that people who, you know, who say, Oh, I use Internet Explorer. Most of us in the tech world kind of go, Yeah, oh, really? Really? Yeah. But you know what? If you, if you're using the latest IE on Windows 8.1, it's not a bad browser. You might right. like, it, and I mean this objectively speaking, not subjectively. Like objectively, it's not a poor browser. Um, but the word IE just, it just brings with it this history yeah. that, you know, people just associate with either bad technology or horrible compatibility issues like you had with IE8, where you had to build basically a version of your website just for one browser. Um, there was a lot of problems. And obviously the security issues with IE6, mm -hmm. it's, you know, get rid of the name. It's a, it's a real problem. It's why people don't really name their children after murderers because, yeah. well. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage there. There's baggage there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and so the the next one, and who knows, by the time this podcast goes live, maybe they'll have officially announced the name, but it's codenamed Project Spartan, uh, which is built on different codes. It's code that if you trace it back, you know, it has roots that are common to Internet Explorer. But again, it's a different evolutionary path. Um, and it's going to uh, you know, be the, the new approach for browsers. Uh, there will be continued support for Internet Explorer for a while, but we're going to see that gradually uh, taper off until we are left with whatever Project Spartan is named at the time. I am curious where they came up with that name because they have the personal assistant Cortana and Cortana that's a character from the Halo franchise which Microsoft owns now mm. um, it's good PR it's good PR yeah so it makes People me think wonder Halo's cool Xbox yeah. is the coolest thing Microsoft's ever done that's true name it after the most popular thing that the most popular thing is named after yeah I mean they, they weren't going to call it Master Chief so uh, Master Chief the main character in Halo is a Spartan soldier they the type of armor he wears is is designated as Spartan. So it's possible 
that this is another Halo reference. It could be that Spartan just it came is. From it, something it else. It totally is a Halo reference. Well, like, um, it is Spartan either because it's a very bland, open interface, and possibly, but it's not, is it? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Halo. I still think they should call it Windows Grunt. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, I guess I guess they could call it elite. I mean, that would be <laughs> that would yeah. be something. You know, that would have a, possibly a, a, a nicer connotation than grunt would. Although, honestly, uh, depending upon what version of Windows you're running, you, grunting might be your natural reaction to booting up your computer. Because um, I remember running older versions of Windows on older machines and thinking, "All right, I've turned my computer on. In about half an hour, I'll be able to do something." Uh, mm. At any rate, that's that's it. That is the the full blown history of Internet Explorer from the early days before there were even web browsers to the current situation where Internet Explorer is is surfing into the sunset. I guess since we're talking about the web, and uh, we're going to get this this new type of browser in the future. Uh, it's an interesting story. I mean, you got so much drama there from the, the antitrust lawsuits, the whole dot com bubble, the intense focus on the web, Microsoft getting a little, maybe not lazy, but complacent perhaps mm, with its place. I mean, it's, it's a, you can also look at this and the development of the, the, you know, the, the company Microsoft as well, just what that company was going through mm. during that time. We could do a parallel timeline. And really see how there was a lot going on. Uh, oh, there really the was, and, and and the popularity of Windows uh, of Internet Explorer six, and by extension, Internet Ex- Explorer six itself was both the best and the worst thing that happened to IE as a franchise of browsers. Yeah, you know, it, it, its popularity it, it accounted for over ninety percent of all browser installations at one point around two thousand three, I think. Mm-hmm. And yet that was the one that effectively caused the downfall, you know, in terms of actual security issues, public perception, um, you know, the, the, the need for something to challenge the dominant monopolistic looking IE, you know, yeah, all of that stuff, yeah. it caused its own ultimate downfall and the complacency just made that worse. Yeah. Without, without IE six, you don't have necessarily the, the incentive for a group like the Mozilla Foundation to really push for an alternative like Firefox. And then Firefox ends up becoming not just a, like first it, when it debuts, it's, it's definitely the underdog, but then very quickly in the grand scheme of things became a true contender. Uh, yeah. I mean, without, without the, the problems of IE6, there wouldn't have been, I don't think there would have been a drive for the alternatives. Uh, and ultimately, when you look at the way things have shaken out now, again, like we, we barely touched the mobile world, but it's also what helped drive the development of things like Chromium. Uh, and then therefore you could also say it helped drive things like Android as well as Chrome OS. Uh, you know, the world is definitely affected by Internet Explorer. Like we, we would not have the same experiences that we have available to us now were mm. it not for IE. Whether it's whether it's from Microsoft or from someone else that was trying to compete against them. So I agree. Uh, I mean broadly speaking, what a successful product, you know, and, and, and yeah. what a great product for you know, for the last two decades. I mean, 
you know, I say this as a Mac user, but as a someone who has a, a deep amount of respect for Microsoft and and what it does and what it has done. And Internet Explorer has to go down as one of the most popular, if not the most commendable piece of software ever made. Yeah. You know, and I know that's a controversial statement, but you, but I think even the, you know what I'm getting at that it, it's, it has itself done so much for, for sure. what the modern web is, even if it was by being too popular or too bad at one point, it has been a driver of change for the modern internet. Heck, I, I mean, I think I feel pretty safe in saying that if Internet Explorer had not been, if it hadn't been for Internet Explorer, for one thing, more people would never have been introduced to the World Wide Web because since it was yeah. bundled with the operating system, it took that barrier to entry and and threw it out the door, right? It made it, it, it became something that your computer could do as soon as you got it plugged up and connected to the internet. There was still a bit of a barrier because you still had to get connected. But once you got past that, it was already ready to go. And so there was that. It helped remove that barrier to entry. And because of that, because it had this, uh, enabling factor that drove more people to the web, it allowed for the creation of things like websites, like HowStuffWorks.com, which means that I ultimately was able to land my dream job. So, like, like you know, I, I don't know that things would have unfolded the same way had Microsoft not gotten into this. I'm sure. I mean, it's undoubted. It, it, there's, it's impossible to say, but I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that there's no way the World Wide Web wouldn't still be an incredibly influential. Uh, part of our lives but whether it would be to the same extent that it is now without internet explorer i, I don't know mm. um i mean something that powerful and useful and uh and and ultimately profitable uh could not remain obscure forever but it certainly could have taken longer without internet explorer for it to to get the traction that it got so well here's yeah. to the next 25 years of the web. yeah yeah, who knows? Uh, who knows what? You know, maybe maybe we'll both be using a Microsoft machine, and at that time, and uh, Mac will be a distant memory, and my my Chrome op, uh, my Chrome browser will be seen as as antiquated and cute. Yes, I, I doubt it, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> I'll be just I'll be passing through a midlife crisis and planning a sixtieth birthday. Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be through my midlife crisis <laughs> <laughs> and well into my decline. All right, so. <laughs> Nate Langson, thank you so much for joining me for these episodes. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. I greatly appreciate you taking the time. And uh, as as people have heard, and maybe you maybe you didn't notice, but Nate has stayed up past his bedtime to mm -hmm. be on my show. So I appreciate that. No, thank it's you very my much. if I if I can stay up for two epi podcast episodes time to talk about the history of a piece of software. I mean that is. That is nerdtastic in my book, and uh, it's I, I'm just about to relaunch an entire publication in uh, in Europe, and uh, I am well past my bedtime, definitely. And uh, but but it's been a lot of fun and uh, kept me kept me awake despite what I probably should have been doing. <laughs> well, well, Nate, I'm going to take that as a positive, and uh, I I hope I can have you on the show again in the future. I, I would love to have you back on and and chatting about. Oh, some some other great tech topics. Nate is incredibly well versed in tons of technology. Uh, he very graciously agreed to be on this episode. Next time, I promise I will give him the full 
list of cho- choices and just open up the option so he can pick whatever he wants to. Because uh, <laughs> it was I was playing unfairly this time. And that wraps up the story of Internet Explorer, or at least as far as it went there. Obviously, we could talk a lot more about Internet Explorer today and the emergence of Edge as well, and uh, probably will do that at some point. Maybe I'll even get Nate back on the show. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. You can do so on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.